You're listening to Deal by Deal, a McGuire Woods independent sponsor podcast. Deal by Deal invites you to conversations with experienced independent sponsors and other private equity professionals. Join McGuire Woods partners Greg Hover and Jeff Brooker as they explore middle market private equity M&A to provide you with timely insights and relevant takeaways. Hi, and welcome to Deal by Deal, a McGuire Woods podcast for independent sponsors and other private equity professionals. I'm your host, Greg Hover. I'm an M&A attorney in the PE group here at McGuire Woods. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into various aspects of due diligence, uh, both relating to M&A transactions and then post-closing. So this could be categorized as one of our kind of M&A toolkit episodes. So we hope you find this really helpful. I'm happy to be joined today by Kathleen Hughes of Kroll. And uh, I want to, in a second, kick it over to her to give an intro. Kathleen, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Kroll? Sure. Um, Kathleen Hughes. I am a director in the uh, corporate finance group at Kroll. I'm in the M&A group with particular focus on financial sponsor coverage. So we work with a variety of sponsors, primarily doing uh, M&A buy and sell side work, transaction advisory services, and, and a whole array of other services that we'll get into as we go on. Great. Great. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. So we've done podcast about, you know, equity term sheets and LOIs and other kind of strategic considerations around M&A. And, and I think that due diligence and as a buyer, you know, your approach to due diligence is, is an equally strategic decision, both before entering into the deal and after, you know, so before we go into the menu of, you know, what are the latest and greatest due diligence options, which Kathleen will walk us through. Just to set the stage, there's all sorts of different transactions from an M&A perspective, and there's different probably levels of due diligence that you might want to do with respect to those. You know, on one end of the spectrum, you've got small asset acquisitions where, you know, maybe it's an add-on strategy. You're going to, you want to take a light touch on due diligence and you want to structure the acquisition agreement so that the buyer only takes on specific liabilities and leaves everything else with the seller. And that can give you a little leeway as far as the level of diligence you're going to do. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got large competitive processes where, you know, a seller is going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to sell you the equity of this business, of this large complex business. And you as a buyer are going to step into the shoes of all the pre-closing liabilities because you're the new owner. And, you know, you can either buyer, go get a rep and warranty insurance policy, or you can, you know, on the furthest end of the spectrum, you know, you buyer can sort of self-insure and trust your diligence and turn over every stone. And maybe you don't have to go get rep and warranty insurance, but the seller is not going to stand behind any liabilities with respect to that business. And so between, you know, those two ends of the spectrum, there's all sorts of strategic decisions. So, that's one component of it. And then just to set the stage for Kathleen a, a bit more, um, as, as an M&A person, I kind of think about due diligence as, you know, just what's going to get me from here to closing. And there's kind of several tranches of that, you know, like initial structuring diligence and then, you know, confirmatory diligence, et cetera. But 
I'm glad Kathleen's on to talk to us about talk to us about post closing components of due diligence where I kind of sometimes move on to the next deal and but but the business owners need to think about due due diligence as well. And so, you know, with that kind of table setting, you know, Kathleen, do you want to kind of walk us through the menu that you and, you know, your team at Kroll think about and talk with about, you know, sponsors? Yeah. And let's back up too. And let me give you kind of an overview of Kroll, the firm, Um, and it can kind of help you understand the offerings and the, the products that we work with clients today on. So Kroll's formerly Duff and Phelps. We are a leading global provider of risk and financial advisory solutions. We work with a wide array of clients with the overarching goal to help them build, protect, and maximize value. So practically speaking, um, we're an investment bank that sits inside of a larger financial advisory firm. Um, Kroll has evolved to where it is today, having uh, begun in the 1930s as Duff and Phelps, um, which was an investment research firm, uh, later expanding into corporate finance. While some non-core segments over the years, such as investment management and credit ratings, were spun off, um, the firm's made many acquisitions over time, um, really expanding the scope of the financial advisory services that are offered today. Um, This includes the acquisition of Kroll, which was in 2018, um, adding Kroll's expertise in complex investigations, security, and cyber solutions. Um, And so the, the four main segments of the firm are corporate finance, which is um, has our M&A practice, buy and sell side advisory, fairness and solvency opinions, our TAS, which we'll really kind of do a deep dive into today, transaction advisory services, um, pre and post close diligence, ESOP and ERISA advisory, uh, distressed M&A and special situations, and our private capital markets and debt advisory practice is also under the corporate finance umbrella. Our valuation practice provides uh, valuation and consulting for financial reporting, tax, uh, investment, and risk management purposes. We have our governance, risk, and investigations and disputes practice. And last, um, our business service practice, which uh, manages complex legal um, and business solutions. This includes our prime clerk restructuring, class action administration, mass tort administration, as well as kind of issuer agency and trustee services. So Great. if we kind of think of where where the world is today, we've been operating in this highly volatile and uncertain business landscape for some time, which really requires financial sponsors, I think, to be just as focused on preserving existing value as they have been focused on maximizing value. And with kind of the evolution of the world, um, you know, risks associated with m and deals has, have evolved as well. And these risks include those that are, can be discovered um, pre-transaction, as well as risks that may not exist at the outset, but can require some continual monitoring post-close in order to mitigate the emergence of such risks. And with sort of the evolution of risks, um, I think the evolution of technology has really helped facilitate some additional risks that didn't used to come into play. And these can come into play at any, any stage during a deal life cycle. So I think protecting against such risks require really an even more robust and sophisticated digital solution. And what are some of those new risks that have come up over the last couple of years kind of arising from technology and innovations? Well, cyber is a big one. Cyber risks can sometimes crop up as an unintended consequence to a system migration 
a cloud migration, various other things, not just necessarily a hacker trying to get in the system. But I think cyber is one of the, the biggest risks that has really cropped up that didn't used to exist. Um, but also on the same time, there's a lot of supplier risks that um, have come into play that didn't used to exist before. I think with the, the focus on ESG, whether you're an independent sponsor or um, a private equity firm, you know, the focus on ESG has really created some necessities to kind of have things buttoned up a bit more than they used to. And we can mm-hmm. kind of get into some of those things sure. further as we go through the different menu of sort of diligence items. Sure. But we can start, I can start on sort of our, our financial and accounting due diligence. Most of these things are pretty fair, commonly used and well-known to most people in the M&A space, but there are some expansions and sort of deeper dives in certain aspects that you can think about. From a pre-transaction standpoint, you know, your quality of earnings, which we we always encourage to do on a sell side, know what you're getting into sort of at the outset on the quality of earnings because you know the buy side is going to do one. But then also you can get a little bit further and do the corporate structure analysis and, and sort of make optimization recommendations pre-transaction. It's really important as well to look at the financial reporting and systems to review those, evaluate if they're um, robust enough to provide the data that will be needed for the transaction, and as well as make sort of recommendations of, you know, where they where a buyer might identify that they're falling short, where improvements might need to be made. And it can also come into play with sort of purchase price elements in that if it's not a very robust system and, and a significant investment is going to be needed to make to make those systems more robust, it can certainly um, come into play a little bit from an evaluation perspective. Then projections, outside of just sort of the preparation of projections, and this this comes into play, um, it can sometimes more so if the sell side is um, a privately owned company, maybe they've never had institutional capital before. Some companies have never even had to require or have never been required to provide projections, whether it's because they don't have debt, don't have a bank that requires them. But even if they have been required by by a lender to prepare them, there's not a lot of analysis and stress tests sometimes behind them. And so through the M&A process, those are going to get, you know, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on really sort of what market assessments were behind the projections what are the assumptions and drivers, um, the historical trends and the year-to-date performance, deep dive into the quality of the backlog, um, CapEx requirements that may or may not be factored in, as well as assessing sort of the value of tax attributes or buyer tax basis step up. And Kathleen, over the past 18 months, have you seen a kind of difference in practice? And, And this is kind of if you're thinking about it from the sell side, a difference in practice around how those projections are prepared and so you know how aggressive or conservative those those are absolutely in the last 18 months there has been significant scrutiny on on projections and the assumptions behind them and so for certain um, sellers that have just had sort of high level projections prepared there may not have been that much thought that have gone into them but you better be sure that the buyers are going to take a really deep dive at what's behind those projections and and if they think they're feasible or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. 
And then also there's, you know, there's a working capital analysis and trends that that um, should be looked at, as well as sort of a net debt analysis. Um, and then there's the transaction structuring and accounting um, that I think it really helps to use an advisor to, to help with that part of it. So that's sort of the finance and accounting piece on a pre-transaction basis. Throughout deal negotiation, um, where, where you want to think of that is through the documentation phase and the tax due diligence phase, as well as sort of purchase price adjustment mechanisms, um, looking at your reps and warranties, but also transition planning and interim service agreements. Um, and mm-hmm. those are things to be to 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 think about as you go through sort of the deal negotiation phase. And then on the financial and accounting side, post transaction, um, you know, you're looking at closing working capital, purchase price allocation, opening balance sheet. One area that isn't always thought of um, immediately after the fact, but is important is sort of your board of directors and management advisory plan. There's also the IT kind of due diligence component, which can factor in implementations of recommendations that were made on a a pre-transaction basis. And any sort of bolt-on diligence analysis should be factored in post-transaction as well as you go through the deal lifecycle. Flipping back, you know, quickly to Q of E and working capital analysis and things of that nature. One thing that I'm seeing a lot recently is deals are getting stuck in the Q of E phase. Mm-hmm. A buyer comes in and agrees to a purchase price. And then the lawyers kind of usually put our pencils down for a little bit until the business yeah. diligence checks out to, right. to save on the legal bill. But I'm seeing a lot more, you know, haggling, frankly, around the around purchase price, around the Q of E not checking out. What do you think that's a function of? Is it just buyers being more conservative and worried about their downside in this mm-hmm. market? Can can firms like Kroll, you know, how, how do how does a sophisticated firm like yours kind of help in those that haggling for lack of a better word? Yeah, I think it's a couple of factors that are coming into play on that. I think um, one of it is a function of the post-COVID world, right? So it's you know, you had your COVID period and then sort of you had in certain industries, the surges of business um, as we sort of came out of um, of the pandemic. So getting to a normalized revenue is definitely a little bit trickier in today's world. So I think there's a lot of um, a deeper dive in sort of substantiating what a run rate number is. Um, and, and that that kind of also comes back into play with projection stress testing. What is the normalized, you know, what, what is normal now is a little bit harder to determine. So I think that's one reason why there's additional scrutiny and time allocated to the quality of earnings part. But also I think the continued uncertainty means that buyers can't get it wrong, right? They've got to get it right. They've got to get to what the number is, especially in this higher interest rate environment if they're going to, you know, over-equitize a deal more more so than they normally would. You know, you really need to understand and get to the right cash flow number. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think one other thing that I see is that if, if you're a buyer, time is your friend. And an easy way to buy some time is to, you know, get stuck <laughs> in the Q of E and, and keep double-checking and triple-checking the numbers. 
Right. And I think a little bit more recently, the timing of the QVs that's come into play is for most firms, it was a really slow things. The debt markets kind of closed up fourth quarter of last year. And then, you know, not much was happening with deals in the first quarter. Everyone was sort of waiting to close their books and seeing what the first few months would be like. So I think, you know, the M&A activity has seemed to pick up. Um, in this second part of the year. And so with that, I think that some providers are getting, you know, a little bit jammed up. And so turnaround times are increasing a little bit from that perspective as well. Kind of good to hear. I mean, not not good to hear people are getting a little jammed up, but good to hear that people are busy, you know, in the in the PE ecosystem. Yeah. Well, great. That was a really good overview, I think, of the, you know, the fundamentals and the a lot of the business diligence and maybe take us through because as we were chatting, you know, there's a lot of kind of new options from a due diligence perspective that maybe, you know, I mean, from, from my from my view, they're new and maybe not uh, in the typical handful of things I would think about doing. So I think that'd be really helpful. Sure. And then I can kind of circle back to I, I didn't hit on the tax part yet, but there's a couple things on, um, I would say, well, a couple different areas. If you look at um, background checks and investigations, there's some diligence things that I think people need to think about depending on the type of deal that they may not um, have really thought about before. And and not only to think about it and see if it might be applicable, but to understand what you may not know going into a deal and is it worth skipping over that diligence piece or not. So I think some of those things are with, you know, whether you're entering a new market or it's a new investment in a different area, you know, you do want to do kind of background checks on whether it's your board of directors or your management. But beyond that, there's also um, corporate culture diligence is something that I think is really interesting. I think culture... Yeah, especially in the middle market, I think culture, corporate culture can really have a significant impact, positive or negative, on the enterprise value of a firm. And it's things that corporate culture will not necessarily come into play throughout many parts of discovery in the M&A process, right? It's not going to come through in quality of earnings. You're not going to see it in the top customer and top supplier lists. You're not, it's not going to be reflected in your you know, working capital analysis, but where it can come into play is, um, you know, doing some, it can sort of, it can highlight maybe some really bad actors that are at the helm of running a company and could significantly affect where the company is going to go in the future. So these corporate culture diligence items can, can, can be very eye-opening in some circumstances. They can highlight a, you know, a culture that can maybe create some liability, whether it's, you know, inappropriate behavior that's just become rampant in a firm or can highlight maybe some, you know, high employee turnover and help get to the root of why that is. And is there a person or a few factors kind of behind that's driving that? So I think that's something that that's become a little bit more common and is really interesting and important to to look at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's something that you may not, you know, pick up on with a steak dinner with the founder, you know, right. and, the, and the typical diligence. But you know, going mm-hmm. a little bit deeper, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and I don't want to gloss over either the, the sort of background checks. That's you know, extremely important, especially when you're keeping management, if management's going to stay on through a transaction, do not, that should not be something that is overlooked in a transaction. Sure. No, totally. And 
from what I understand of Kroll, you know, that's a big part of the heritage of, of Kroll, right? Is, is yes. doing investigations and things of that nature. Yes. Yep. Correct. Then I can kind of hit on some other areas. Um, obviously kind of newer is the cyber component. Um, so within sort of the cyber diligence, it, it's really kind of a cyber slash IT risk advisory diligence. Um, and, and, you know, pre-deal on the buy side, you know, you're really kind of doing a systems and security review. And, and that really allows you to understand post-close, maybe what, what services and monitoring need to be implemented. But it's really important to get your arms around what the current cyber program is in, in place, if any, and what what's recommended to safeguard that going forward. There's a lot of different things too in terms of cyber, what where you can evaluate. Um, you, know, you can evaluate just high-level systems and, and what they currently have in place. You can do penetration testing and see how robust systems are. The fact is most cases, if if hackers are going to try to get in, they will, but but it's what hurdles will they have to go through first. So you really want to have an understanding of what's in place or what needs to be in place for that. And then there's also evaluating, you know, should this be kind of be a managed outsource process and, and what would that look like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and this may be too deep in the weeds, but um, I mean, how does the cyber diligence interact with cyber insurance coverage, which I, I'm not very conversant in. I, I would assume a big piece of it is also getting some insurance coverage around that. Yeah. And that's that's not in a, an area I'm super well versed in. I It's my hunch that the on the cyber insurance, there wasn't as much diligence done on what the current systems in place were or are. But if it if it hasn't been a huge consideration in the past, I would think it has to be going forward. Mm-hmm. It seems very mm-hmm. basic from a risk perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. then moving on from there, um, ESG diligence. And this, I think this depends on what kind of sponsor it is, right? If it's an independent sponsor that is looking to eventually start a fund, it's really good to show pre-fundraising that they have these things in place. Um, I actually read in the wall, I think it was in the wall, I can't remember where I read it yesterday though, that actually in that some, some LPs are tying carried interest to ESG or ESG metrics being hit, which I thought was interesting. It was always sort of a nice to have and really encouraged, but not necessarily a financial metric tied to it. But with the ESG part, um, what, I, I think it's sometimes it's more on a, a post-transaction basis, but from a diligence diligence perspective, it's looking at um, reviewing policies. Is there a policy in place? You know, if not, what post-transaction you know might go to the top of the list of things that you want to look at implementing. And there's great strategic advisors that can help craft a policy. But then it also takes it you know a step further, and and that policy also can kind of sketch out investment strategy and improvement plans going forward. This, you know, this affects everything from the environmental side to the social and governance side and, and supply chain reviews often come into play with those, um, you know, firms that have numerous suppliers that could be all across the world don't always know exactly who and what's behind a particular supplier. And, right, and right. that's, really important from an, uh, from, from an ESG perspective, as well as just a firm value perspective. 
The other one I want to talk about a little bit is, you know, there's a risk that people or or risks that can um, be discovered through certain ways that maybe aren't as obvious. So digital chatter can really provide um, an early warning indication of risks event, risk events that may happen in the future. So, and, and, and what do you mean by by digital chatter? So digital chatter. So a lot of times within the the surface and the deep and dark web, you can pick up a lot of chatter that can indicate of a risk that's going to emerge in about six months' time. I think that's, there's sort of a standard lead time where chatter is detected prior to a risk event happening. And this could either be fraudulent activity, human rights accusations, um, conflicts of interest coming out, um, breach reports, business disruption events. But specific to Kroll, so a big part of our business has become sort of this tech and digitally enabled solution. And and one of those solutions is it's really a a risk detection system. And it takes artificial intelligence combined with human intelligence and through this surface deep and dark web monitoring to kind of monitor the digital chatter. Interesting. That is is really interesting. I, I haven't seen that on a deal, but wow, yeah, to the extent you can get ahead of something like that. And anything mm-hmm. AI is is certainly the the hot topic these days. So yes, <laughs> and and poor though it does, it is it's AI combined with our human intelligence. Um, that I think the combination of those two and sort of the historical data that we have on these things um, makes it a really powerful tool. Any other items on the on the menu to run through? I think. Those are really the, um, a couple of other things. So one other thing that, that can be thought of pre-post-close, this, this could be on a pre-post-deal basis um, or on a buy-sell side engagement. So there's, when you look at, um, this is more particular to industries, consumer industrial or technology industries. Um, but in terms of looking at um, operations, um, there's there's diligence that can can be done evaluating um, elements that can help identify elements that can in- increase EBITDA, improve process efficiencies, um, help scale operations, and really you know increase the overall enterprise value of a firm. So this falls within our TAS group as well. It's our our TAS Ops group, and it can it, this you can use this advisory service, whether you're a seller and you're thinking about coming to market and and value indications, you know, in sort of the pitch phase aren't where you thought they would be. And and they can kind of be a deeper dive into why and where improvements can be made to get them to where you would like them to be. Or it can be um, on a buy side in looking at, you know, if if certain metrics are below industry standards, um, why that is. And if if there are concrete things that can be identified to help bring those up. So it can, you know, we can look at things from an operational performance perspective, whether it's a supplier analysis and, and streamlining purchasing or um, maybe operational improvements that can be identified and, and cost savings quantified with those. Um, automation identification can be a big one. And it's, those things are very, you know, I think they're very identifiable and quantifiable. So what investment would need to be made to automate a process and what, you know, return 
would result from doing that. So that's another thing to think about um, pre or post close from a diligence perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, if you're a if you're a seller, you want to do all of that analysis and make sure you get credit for it uh, from the bidders. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're a buyer, you you may want to keep that in your back pocket and you know make sure that, that you know hopefully other bidders weren't as smart as you and don't don't see those synergies and right, uh, right. Know, probably you know goes to the broader point of you know and and appreciate you laying out all these different options that you know information is powerful as you're yep. trying to figure out what you're going to bid for a company what you're going to sell a company for and you know this was super informative to go you know to go through all these the latest and greatest options of of what's out there because again from a legal perspective I kind of have my narrow things I, I look at but this this is really helpful any Thank other you. you know kind of parting thoughts or ideas for you know our listeners who might be buyers or sellers yeah I think as you look at the menu of diligence items you know you don't want to be penny wise and pound foolish and I think going into things um, eyes wide open uh, more like you said more information is is powerful and and can really help not just kind of protect value, but it, it can help get to the right negotiation and 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 more information and, and data can help you do that better. Great, great. Well, Kathleen, appreciate your time and, and the insights from you and your team at Kroll. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Take care. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal by Deal, a McGuire Woods independent sponsor podcast. To learn more about today's discussion and our commitment to the independent sponsor community, please visit our website at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.